0: The Doctor Who Show, with Rob and Dave. Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is The Doctor Who Show, coming at you for the month of July 2021.
1: Rob, how are you? Well, Dave, we're both in lockdown, so we're probably uh, in in similar sorts of uh, straits. Which, look,
0: you never want to be in lockdown, but... If ever there's a time when you have to watch an entire season of new who for your podcast, uh, it's it's a good time if you're in lockdown because there's a lot of lot of Doctor Who in new who.
1: It's not bad at all. I've I've watched a lot of things lately, not even just Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, likewise, and we'll talk a bit about that later in the podcast. Now, last episode we said this would be a deep dive into a new who season. We put four nominations up on our Twitter feed for you, our uh, wonderful listeners, to vote for. And shall I read the scores, Rob? Oh,
1: please, Dave.
0: So in fourth place, not doing very well at all, was Season 7A with 9.3% of the vote. Yes. Listeners were very kind, and only 146 of you voted for Series 6, my least favourite season of Doctor Who ever. <laughs> um, so, which, which, look, it might have been interesting to get my take on it again, but... Um, Might have been a quite negative episode, I'm scared to say. I I, I
1: couldn't get it over the line, unfortunately. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Doing
0: quite well, though. Series 9, 35.4%. But an easy winner this time was Series 2 with 40.7% of the vote. So tonight, Rob, we are discussing the difficult second series of New Doctor Who, or David Tennant's glorious debut (laughs) as the most popular Doctor ever.
1: What will it be? What will it be? <laughs> and how many votes in total was... I want to say it was over 250 or something, Dave.
0: We cracked the 250 this time, which is, I think, the first time we did it. I'm, I'm sure it was our largest vote ever.
1: Yeah, and it was so interesting to watch because initially I want to say my my Series 9 was winning until what I want to call the uh, Steve B effect from uh, <laughs> New to Who. He jumps on Twitter and says, Hey, everybody, I love Series 2, so vote for Series 2. Suddenly Series 2 was winning and just... One for the rest of the week. Um.
0: It it just took off from there. I I don't know whether it's because um, season two fans like to read Twitter on the weekend or what. But no, look, I'm very happy to talk about this season. I won't say anything more. We'll we'll talk mm. about it and our thoughts about it as we get to it. Uh, but before we get into our news. We have an iTunes review, Rob.
1: Yes, yes, we always read these at the top of the show to thank people for uh, taking the time because it it really is great when people take the time to do this, especially when they're people we don't know. And this one comes from Mr. Day, who I've subsequently met on Twitter in a virtual sense, and he follows us and we follow him now, and that's all great, but when he left this review, didn't have a clue who he was. Mr. Day, via Apple Podcasts from Great Britain on the 16th of July, says, Wonderful! Five stars. I seem to find more iffy Who podcasts than good, so it pleases me to say I've found another one to add to my list of essential listening. Charming and erudite hosts... And I like that Big Finish is kept to a minimum. Looking forward to new episodes. Thumbs up.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for that. That's a very kind review.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. Charming and erudite. I like
0: that. We've got a high bench to live up to, and we're going to to live down to it for 30 seconds. Because he said he was glad we didn't talk much about Big Finish, but our last podcast was a topic deep diving into a Big Finish story, and I just wanted to thank everybody for the really cool feedback we did get about that. A lot of people came out of the woodwork, people we hadn't heard from before, to mm-hmm. give us their thoughts on that Big Finish story, the Holy Terror and whatnot, including somebody by the name of Robert Shearman. Yeah,
1: who's that? Who's that?
0: <laughs> the the author of the
1: story. I know, I know, I
0: know, but that 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 is always. It's it's like when Joe Michael Straczynski, uh commented on Twitter about our um, alternate galaxies episode of Babylon Five, and I spent the next sort of day going over my mind again. Did I say anything bad? Did I say anything bad? <laughs> and uh, the same with the Holy Terror. I was like, oh, we said nice things about Rob Sherman, didn't we? Yes, I'm sure we did.
1: That was pretty wild. But, you know, something similar happened the other day on Twitter. This is a really quick story. We'll get into the show in a minute, folks. I was talking to someone about stars who have started later in their careers because they were talking about Harrison Ford, how he didn't really do a big acting job till he was, like, in his 30s. And I said, yeah, that's like Deborah Harry from Blondie. Like, she had this whole sort of life... And I think she was probably 30 or, or older when she started in Blondie. You know, back in the old days, you could sort of be a pop star at 30. Now you've got to be sort of 18 or you're over the hill. And, and he came back and said, yeah, and, and, and like Ricky Gervais as well, you know. Next thing, blow me down with a feather, Ricky Gervais <laughs> likes the tweet. <laughs> we, we've not tagged him. We've not done a hashtag Ricky Gervais or anything. He has just found the comment, and he's liked our conversation. Wow. Moments like that are just weird. They are weird, but so 21st century and kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great.
0: We'll move into the news.
1: Yeah, I think you've got the first one, Dave.
0: I have, look, a very quick one. Coming right off the back of the last month when I went through all of the and Blu-ray animations for the first time. They have gone ahead and announced Evil of the Daleks will be the next one. It is out in the UK on the 27th of September. Pre-orders are already available for our listeners in Australia on JB Hi-Fi, and I know I've got mine pre-ordered locally. Mm -hmm. Rob, I'm just going to say this is really, really cool. Evil of the Daleks is probably my favorite and story. It would be easily in my top 10 Doctor Who stories of all time, possibly scraping into the top five on a good day. I'm more excited about this one than I have been about any animation to date. Twenty seven September, can't come soon enough.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm delighted by this. I, I can't wait to see it either. Uh, and I'm equally delighted that the BBC is listening to our podcast and thought, well, geez, Dave's just finished all these trout and animations. We better put out another one. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, was, was it was very well
0: timed. Yes, very good of them. <laughs>
1: uh, shall we move on? Yes, Alrighty, this next one is uh, a big topic. I mean, we went into detail on the the Noel Clark and John Barrowman situations in our last episode, so I'm not going to rake over the coals here. I I think, Dave, we arrived at a, a condemnation of both but with the nuance that Barrowman had been stupid more so than sinister, like Clark allegedly had been. Mm. And, um, you know, I think I, I, I noticed that was sort of missing a lot in a lot of online analysis. Twitter was like, just just hang everybody, nuance be damned. And I thought, oh, we, we were kind of a bit better on that uh, that anyway. The Daily Mail has just published a follow-up interview with Barrowman where he says this is the first and last time he's going to talk about what's happened lately. So I, I commend it to people. No matter what side of the fence you might sit on, just to hear what Barrowman has to say, uh, which I think is quite interesting. It comes across that he seems a bit bewildered by it all, that, you know, this is something from his past. No one ever reported it. It was just within a little company of actors who never had a beef with it. He apologised for it, like, how many years ago? Like, 14 years ago or something crazy. And now it's a big thing. So he actually ends up commenting a lot on cancel culture. And I'll just read one quote from him and leave it at that. He says, My problem with cancel culture is that it can take the form of intolerance and prejudice. It's a culture with no shades of grey. There's no leeway for forgiveness or room for recognising any change in someone's behaviour. Cancel culture tends to talk at you, or past you, or through you, rather than listen to you. Dialogue is extremely rare. So I'll just leave it there, but I thought I'd just mention that this article is out there, has many interesting comments in it from Barrowman. It's not just like something he might have said or, you know, comments from 2008. This is a new interview, fresh commentary. If you've been following the situation, it's worth appraising yourself of the, uh, the details and what he has to say.
0: Uh, fair enough. I haven't read the interview at this stage. I probably will at some stage. Uh, I feel as I said everything I had to say on the topic last month, and mm. I'll leave it to listeners to read it if they want and form their own conclusions.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, the next piece of news is a very straightforward one, and it's simply for those of you who are Britbox subscribers, which I must confess I'm not. Uh, the spin-off series the Sarah Jane Adventures is now coming to Britbox along with Primeval and being Human, which I have watched. Once back when it was sort of, you know, really big. And maybe that wasn't a bad little series. But yeah, Sarah Jane Adventures on BritBox. That's a a cool thing.
1: Yeah, I think that's very good. I mean, again, BritBox is is not a streaming service I have either. But I may pick it up to to watch that one day because here's the thing. I've not watched all of the Sarah Jane Adventures.
0: No, neither have I, Rob. I watched, I think, all of the first season. And since then, I've cherry-picked. I know I've watched the ones with... You know, the, the Doctors would come back or Nick Courtney was in it or the ones that had a strong reputation. Mm. Um, but it very much is sort of, you know, a scattered sort of thing. And yeah, one day I will sit down and properly watch the Sarah Jane Adventures because, look, it's a very good series, particularly for a kid series. It's very good. And if I'd been a kid when that was on, I would have been absolutely all over that.
1: Oh, me too. Me too. But at the time I was just... I don't know, just the wrong age, just wasn't too interested in it. And um, I, I have cherry-picked like uh, like you, the, the Doctor episodes particularly, but I would like to see it now. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, for sure. Probably not going to get me across the line on BritBox right now, but there there will be a time when I'll get a two- or three-month subscription to BritBox as to work through a few things I want to work through.
1: Mm, well, we'll see how lockdown lasts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> final piece from you, Rob.
1: Yes, Dave, do you know... It's been four years since that video reveal of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Four years. Mm. Remember all the questions: Is that her costume? Is she wearing a a hoodie like Capaldi? You know why is the TARDIS key glowing? You know how's this all going to play out? You know is it the start of a run of female Doctors or is she going to be a one off? All these questions we had at the time. That was four years ago.
0: My main memory is thinking that the Wimbledon final would go into well into the night in Australia and it wouldn't, wasn't worth staying up for. I'll get the, the New Doctor news later. And then as I, was, I was getting ready for bed and realising that the Wimbledon final was absolutely just collapsing in a heap. And this could all, all be over by about midnight. So it actually was worth staying up for.
1: <laughs> yeah crazy it's crazy how that happened but also crazy to think it's it's four years ago now and although it's four years ago since that reveal we've still only got two series of 10 episodes in the can
0: i know it's not a lot is it
1: no th- those delays really have started to bite No, i know we'll have another 10 episodes soon but geez it's been not like the old days not like <laughs> series two that we're going to discuss tonight
0: no it really isn't and i was thinking about that as i watched series two just That period where you knew that every year there was going to be 13 episodes of Doctor Who, a Christmas special, and and Doctor Who never seemed to be all that far away. And and now it just feels as though it's a thing that sort of flies into your radar, you absorb it for a few weeks and then it goes and it, it feels far away again, which is a shame. But look, I think we all know our thoughts on that, let's not dwell.
1: Oh, well, well, I'll just throw in, look at Russell. Uh, you know, he had his finger in many pies. He was doing Doctor Who, he was doing Torchwood. I know Chris Chibnall was the showrunner of Torchwood, but Russell had sort of the oversight over everything. Sarah Jane Adventures, all sorts of things. Doctor Who Confidential was being made. Oh, so much stuff.
0: Totally Doctor Who.
1: Totally Doctor Who. Uh, Russell was also had an eye on all the merchandise that was coming through and sort of rubber stamping that. Gosh, he did a lot.
0: <laughs> he, did he, he did. It was It was quite a time.
1: Yeah, crazy.
0: Anyway, that's the news. There's the news. So, on to mini topics, one from each of us this month. And mine is a very straightforward one. In fact, it's part B of my mini topic from last month. Mm-hmm. You may remember, roll listeners, I was working through, in most cases for the first time, the Troughton animated uh, episodes of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't at that stage watched The Ice Warriors or Fury from the Deep. Okay. Uh, so just very quickly to finish that off, uh, The Ice Warriors is comfortably the worst of any of the animations. Yeah. Uh, some of that animation is actually laugh-out-loud bad, and that's not a phrase. I, I, there are some scenes I was just giggling at the quality of the animation, which is a shame. Uh, the Ice Warriors story itself, look, it's my least favourite of that season. I've said that before. I think it lives entirely on... The reputation of the Ice Warriors themselves, which I must say, watching it again on a on DVD on a big screen at my place, that is a very impressive costume, and they are a very impressive alien race, mm. and so they they do save just a very very dull story, and you know the two animated episodes really don't add much to that story. No, I mean I've said before the entire story is five and a half episodes of. Oh, we can't use the ionizer to defeat these ice warriors. Their engine might blow, up and it might be bad. Oh no, we can't do that. Let's let's see if we can find another solution or we'll find out what's going on. And <laughs> ten minutes before the end, going, ah, oh, sorry, we'll just risk it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. It is a dull story. The animation is terrible on those couple of episodes. I really struggled watching that.
0: Yeah, it's it's not the best. Uh, Fury I did enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Fury from the Deep. I was a fan going in. I was a fan coming out. I really appreciated a bit more the way that this was set up and the way that the the, the weed sort of worked and the way the location sort of worked. It, it, it does make it a much easier story to watch in one sense. But in another, compared to something like the Faceless ones I mentioned or the Macro Terror I mentioned, where mm. it really the animation really works to... Elevate the story. I don't think this is one where the animation kind of suits the story. Fury from the Deep is a very subtle story. It's mm. all about actor reactions. It's all about the soundscape. It's it's all about the the performances. And look, the animation here is perfectly good, but it can't capture that level of subtlety. No. That really, I think, determines this. I mean, something like the cliffhanger, I think it is, of episode three, where Mrs. Harris walks into the ocean. You know, An animation can't quite capture that in the way that I think it it needs to, uh, which is a shame. But look, it's still a really good story and I enjoyed seeing it. And it's come a long way from the first time I ever encountered Fury from the Deep, which was on bootleg audio via the Doctor Who Club of Victoria's audio (laughs) library, which was a sort of a multi-generation a copy of these soundtracks, mostly yeah. recorded by putting a microphone in front of a TV speaker. Yeah. And, you know, i listening to my doctor, like God. that's about the quality of it and particularly these long scenes in Fury from the Deep, which is just, you know, lots of weed, yeah. uh, lots of heartbeats, lots of screaming <laughs> and it's just hadn't a clue what was going on. So, uh, good. But um, I, I, th- I think Faceless Ones is probably... My pick, not not of the good stories, but just of the the animation itself that really, really lifted and sold a story to a whole new level for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about it coming a long way from, from those tape days, and and it's true. I mean, I can sit here and sync the slipper and say there, there are bits of it that are just, you know, that sort of South Park bobbing along sort of animation <laughs> that they have and that yes. sort of thing. Uh, you know, we can sync the slipper over that, but it is so much better than just listening to a terrible audio. Absolutely right. I, I completely concur.
0: Yeah, no, you, you'd much rather have them than not. And the fact that evil is coming out is really, really cool. In the meantime, I'll just give a foreshadowing. My Season 24 box set did arrive during the month. Mm. I've only just been able to start it because I have been watching 13 episodes of New Doctor Who. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I'll come back with a report on Season 24 next month, I think.
1: Oh, fantastic. I'm buying mine locally after the disaster with Zavi last time. I got my copy of uh, Season 8, and Zavi told a bunch of people that they'd sent out their orders and people were like great you know it must be coming in the next week or so and then a week or so later said oh no you're not getting it you never had an order and people were like well hang on <laughs> you told me you'd actually dispatch something so it was was that a lie <laughs> you know I, I never quite got to the bottom of that but that happened to some people some people we even actually know and I thought oh I'm not going to risk it with Zabby next time they don't seem to, to know what they're doing <laughs> So I've just bought mine locally. I'll get it in, what, two or three months' time.
0: Yeah, I had a terrible run with Xavi as well with Season 8. Mine took about 10 weeks to arrive, um, but it did eventually arrive. Um, I'd already pre-ordered Season 24 at the time, so I thought, look, I won't cancel it. The worst that happens is that, you know, I don't get one. I can get it locally. Um, but it did, it did come sort of in pretty good time this time. I have ordered Evil of the Daleks locally, mm-hmm. um, and I've ordered the Web of Fear re- reissue locally. Whether I order the next box set locally or through the UK, I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's a bit of a coin toss. Uh, one other thing I want to mention as we're talking Troughton. Tonight, Dave, before we came on air, I ordered from Character Options the new Pat Troughton and TARDIS set, which is a Abominable Snowman set. So Pat's in his fur coat. And the TARDIS actually has light effects, I believe. Maybe even sound which, uh, which I'm quite excited about getting. I might get that in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Oh, I had seen a few rumours about that. That does actually look pretty cool.
1: Yes. It's an online exclusive.
0: Right. I'm, I'm personally just waiting for the next couple of History of the Dalek sets to be announced. They're, uh, yeah. they're what I'm after.
1: Yeah, they look very cool. Uh, shall we move on to the next mini topic? Uh, yes, one from you, please. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little, uh, and people might even roll their eyes when they hear this because it's such old news now. <laughs> Ollie, Ollie Alexander as the Doctor, I wanted to raise this issue because it happened a little while back and within a day or so, I think a, a rep for him basically shot the rumour down and said, no, that's crazy. You know, It was quite a funny sort of rebuttal, actually. It said something about him meeting Cybermen or something. It was, it was, it was quite campy. funny um i know why i wanted to mention it though because in making the show notes we were talking and i think you have some thoughts on the topic too so i i have something to say which i might hold off saying dave your thoughts on this whole rumor ollie alexander is the doctor you know is it just because he's a hot actor at the moment or why did that happen
0: yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things to say here. Um, part of it is the sort of the meta discussion and part of it is the actual discussion. Do I think that Oli Ag- Alexander is a good and weird and interesting actor? Yes, I do. Um, I think that he is very much the the hot property of the moment. It's a Sin was a huge success. I think it's it's the most downloaded show that Channel 4s had in the UK or something like that. Really? Um, wow. I, I know that a lot of my friends, even people I wouldn't necessarily expect... Um, to have watched it Did watch it that Everybody loved it um, Alexander takes A character Who is deliberately Imperfect You know At times arrogant At times Narcissistic mm. um, At times kind At times wonderful At times selfish He takes a real I Gotta say A very realistic character I know people like that
1: Yeah I was gonna say That sounds like A real person
0: <laughs> Yeah he, he takes a very real Flawed person And and makes you In the end You know Weep for their passing Mm. he He was very su- successful. Do I think that he's somebody who would be a perfect fit for the doctor? No, he probably wouldn't be on my list, but I'm not going to think too much about it given it did disappear fairly quickly. but I had a couple of thoughts when this did come out just as a you know indication of fandom. you know part of it is that you know there have always been these rumors that anybody who's sort of hot property at the moment and is having a bit of a publicity splash tends to get linked with the Doctor. That That's fine. Yeah. I did note, though, that there are times, though, when these rumours are correct. I would say that Tennant, Capaldi and Whitaker, at the time they were announced as the Doctor, they were, I think, the most expected announcement, certainly amongst fandom. Mm. But the key difference there was... At that stage, we knew that the current actor playing the Doctor was departing and they were searching for and going to cast a new Doctor. Jodie has not left the TARDIS yet. Jodie is about to do a whole new series. No one has announced that she's going and yet people are jumping on rumours about her replacement already.
1: Yeah, well look, just before I get on to Ollie Alexander, I'll I'll say that, you know, more rumours are out there this past week. One YouTube channel was talking about a regeneration having been filmed using a male and a female uh, actor in a, one of those green onesies with the, the green hood over the head so that Jody can morph into a man or a woman uh, who hasn't been picked yet. And I thought, well, this flies in the face of Jodie recording two more stories to be specials, you know, for next year. So maybe this is just rubbish or maybe there are no specials and maybe she will regenerate at the end of this series. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of interesting. It was kind of talking about the special effects involved. I thought that's an imaginative sort of rumour at the very least.
0: Am I correct in my memory that at the time Christopher Eccleston filmed his regeneration, David Tennant... Wasn't there. Certainly wasn't there. I don't know if it had been cast, but certainly wasn't there.
1: That's right. He certainly yeah. wasn't there because uh, yeah. I think it would have happened relatively early that year, or maybe even the year before. Because mm. when did that series start? Start around Easter, didn't it? So That's right. yeah. So they they probably filmed it the year before, um, and I don't think he had been no. no. Hmm. Anyway, my quick thoughts on Ollie Alexander. I was really disappointed with the way the story was sold in the press. News outlets got the most outrageous images of Ollie you can imagine, at least for a newspaper audience, a PG sort of audience. And they were saying, it's the new Doctor. And I get why they did it, but all it served to do was just drive a certain kind of fan into having an aneurysm like you know we can't have a bloke with dyed hair you know showing his nipples you know uh, you know
0: as if that would be his costume if he was cast
1: well precisely but it got me thinking how dangerous it is for them to sell it like that because if this was true and he was the new doctor the media was already painting him in this way to fandom trying to get this immediate oh yuck or maybe oh that's amazing reaction instantly based on nothing to do with how he would actually look as the doctor you're right or how he would play it I think it was trolling I really think it was trolling so I pulled out a picture of Ollie no makeup no weird clothes his hair sort of grown out because he hasn't chopped off quite severely but with his hair grown out it's it's curly he he sort of looked like a young Tom Baker Mm. and you know I put that out there and I bet heaps of people who were saying oh yuck to the pictures in the media, might have looked at that and even had the opposite reaction. Thought, oh, he looks, he looks great. He looks quite young and doctorish. That's wonderful. And I think this is the power of the media to to make or break people, or make or break ideas, or whatever. And it was used in this really loose and and really pathetic way to this story as it was breaking. And I thought, oh, that's quite damaging. In in the end, it doesn't matter because he's not going to be the doctor. I get all of that, but just at the time, I thought that's hmm. I'm I mm, I don't like that.
0: Yeah, it, it it also potentially sets or would have set him up not to fail, but to have a difficult thing in in the same way that Jody Whitaker was always going to be in some way by some people judged against the, the, the metric of being the first woman doctor, the first female mm. doctor, yeah. um, which, you know, is, is a reality, but it's not a fair metric against which to judge her. The idea that were Ollie Alexander or another openly gay actor cast, they would be judged as the first gay doctor. And, mm. you know, given given that the sexuality of the doctor generally has very little to do with the actual character itself, and given that they are, you know, acting... Yes, um, you know that that really is. That's even more irrelevant than the gender of the actor, or you know, the skin color of the actor. Um, yeah. You know what what an actor does when they go back to the uh, hotel afterwards. I mean, you know, just Christ! I mean, goodness, if we judge some of the, and um, if we judge Patrick Trouton on you know what he got up to <laughs> at hotels, you know, it's just, oh just, yes, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And but but you're you're right. It did sort of feel like the start of a let's judge this guy. As a gay doctor, not as the doctor. In the same exactly. way that people like to judge Jodie as the woman doctor, not just the doctor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Really well said. That's exactly where I was heading.
0: Yeah, well, it seems as if we were in, uh, in the same mind on that. Mm. But main topic time.
1: Here it comes. <laughs>
0: series two. So series two goes out 2006. We'd come yeah. off the back of the Christopher Eccleston season. We, we were, I think, Most of us, and a lot of fans, we know pretty blown away by just how good that season was. It was renewed for, I think, another two seasons off the back of that pretty quickly.
1: Yes,
0: Eccleston walked before the season was even over. David Tennant, I think... Now, I think... This is the first point I'm going to make before we even get into the rest of the discussion. (laughs) Is is my memory correct that there were people saying David Tennant has been lined up to be the, the 10th Doctor?
1: I'd have to look this up. I want to say Eccleston's departure was known a week or two into the season starting? Or am I misremembering?
0: I, th- I think it was. And I certainly I remember David Tennant's name being in the mix very, very early. And-, and-, and I definitely remember somebody saying to me, oh, you know, David tennant have been groomed for the role. Like They couldn't give him to him first, but uh, they're keeping him on side. And he- he's going to get the role second. Uh, so he-, he he very much felt like he was going to win- go into the role. But we're, we're-, we're going we're going a bit too quickly. <laughs> let's Let's pause. Rob, yes. mm. your memory of being a fan as Series Two was coming out.
1: Well, I, I certainly was there, and I was a fan. I watched it as it came out. The Christmas Invasion, obviously, it happened at this point, and I'd felt a bit iffy about that, primarily because the Doctor is not in a lot of it. <laughs> they <they've, laughs> got him asleep in bed, and like, it's actually not a bad story. But at the time, when that was my first. Taste of David Tennant as the Doctor I was was kind of iffy But by the end, I knew this was a Doctor I wanted to see more of And suddenly we get into Series 2 And whoosh, we've got more alien worlds than the season before We've got the companion relationship thing Firing in a different way to what it did with Eccleston The series quickly moves into... I want to say an imperial phase. Do you know that term, Dave, if I say imperial phase? Okay, yeah. For listeners, uh, Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys, appropriate, because he's another Tennant. And actually, David Tennant named himself after Neil Tennant, uh, if you didn't know that. Uh, And and they had
0: the song It's a Sin, which is what Alexander covered. (laughs) It all is all connected.
1: Everything's connected, as uh, Dirk Gently would say. Uh, Well, Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys listeners uh, coined it once to describe his own band's... uh, just that phase you get into where everything you do is golden and everything you put out is great and you can do no wrong. Uh, he called it the Imperial phase. So if Series 2 of Doctor Who isn't the Imperial phase, it's going pretty close, which when you consider it only launched the year before is just incredible. It's really good stuff. So I, I watched it and at the end of it, I was still smarting a little that Eccleston had left and that I got to the end of the second series and we're already onto our second Doctor. But... I also felt that Tennant was pretty perfect as a doctor. I just couldn't stop watching him. I think he'd nailed the role.
0: Yeah, so look, I remember watching this series, and to give our UK listeners particularly some context, this is still back in the period where it took about three to four months for the ABC out in Australia to broadcast mm-hmm. the new series. In Australia. So I know myself and a lot of my friends in fandom were, you know, and I can admit this now, I think we're outside the statute of limitations for illegal <laughs> downloads. Um, but, you know, we, we were getting onto whatever the um, the illegal downloading platform was at the time. And you'd wake up on a Sunday morning in, in, yeah. in Australia, you would get onto the internet, you'd find a torrent of uh, the, the, the new Doctor Who episode that had come in overnight, you'd set it to download. You'd walk away, have breakfast, have a shower, do a few chores, and sort of watch you know one percent, two percent. And <laughs> if, you, if you're lucky, an hour or two later, you had an episode of Doctor Who that you could sit down and watch. Yeah. Um. You know, on on a computer, and you know, we're not talking a uh, high definition, high res download either. We're talking, you know, three hundred meg sort of thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we weren't watching it in the best of circumstances. So that that's sort of how I saw this series. The big thing that I took away from it, and and The Christmas Invasion really enhanced this. Myself and a lot of the people I was talking to in fandom at the time locally really liked series one. We really liked Equiston. We were surprised at how much we liked Billy Piper. Mm -hmm. We also had this sort of ongoing, resentment's not the right word, doubt's not the right word, negativity's not the right word, but a blend of sort of a bit of all that about the fact that this wasn't quite the Doctor Who we remembered from our childhood. It, it it was a little bit more populist, a little bit more we use the word soap opera-ish. It's, it's not quite correct, but it it encapsulated that that sort of feeling. Now we didn't sit there and go, Well this is terrible, we're never watching it, it's awful. We said but, but we would say, you know what, we wish it didn't have all this soapy stuff in there, but we appreciate that for it to be the number one show on a Saturday night, that's what it has to have in twenty in two thousand and six. Uh, we yeah. we accepted that that was part of it. Now now we didn't need to know who the companion's mum was. We didn't need to come back and visit her. We didn't need to know who the companion's boyfriend was. We didn't need there to be sexual tension in this artist because you know we're sad fanboys who just want lots of cool <laughs> monsters and and lots of alien races and and you know William Hartnell is the Doctor. Um, yes. You know th- those days are gone. So we accepted it and we understood why. You know for for Doctor Who to be a success, it couldn't be the show that we wanted. It couldn't be Babylon 5 or Firefly. You know, shows that would have a very small niche audience and be cancelled before their time. But that that tension really defined series 2 for me. And and as I'm watching it back now, kind of kind of free of that tension, mm-hmm. that that's going to be a big frame through which I'm going to talk about this rewatch that we've we've done. And my other big memories um to do with the spoiler men which i'll get to when we get to uh the relevant episode uh in terms of david tennant i didn't really know him I, i'd seen him in taking over the asylum mm-hmm. i'd seen him in the bill where he was exceptionally good you know, memorably good in that episode of the bill and if you haven't seen that I, I strongly encourage you if you can go and find his episode of the bill he is so so good in that mm-hmm. so that's my memories rob thoughts going into the rewatch
1: yeah, well, look, I've, I've already given away so much, so I, I wasn't dreading this. It's, it's always been a series I've been pretty okay with, you know, and, and obviously one I think that's come in for a bit of revisionism and a bit of stick over the years from, from fandom broadly. And I'd hear these things out there and think, wow, that's my, that's not my experience at all, at least not how I remember it. So, although there are some episodes here that I'd maybe seen every year or two for the past 15 years and I'm quite familiar with, there are others I'd barely seen at all since transmission. So, I was looking forward to this concept of watching it all again in order and seeing if the memory cheated or was I right all along or, or what was the situation going to be because there there is, I'm not sure if you'll agree or not... To me, there is kind of sort of a revisionism and a bit of a backlash against tenant and this season out there. There's
0: certainly a backlash against tenant a bit. Um, that That is certainly true. It, it, against the season, uh, I, I'm not sure. Possibly a little bit.
1: I was thinking in the way people say, you know, Tenant and Piper, they're so smug and it's just so terrible. And, you know... Now uh, you see this is my this
0: is my problem because i I can't really call that a backlash because I was saying it at the time okay um, and, and that's that's sort of you know my my thoughts going in I was I was quite surprised I, I I know that there are a number of episodes of Doctor Who across all of the seasons that I have watched once on transmission and and never gone back to um, that that is the big difference for me between the classic and the new uh, mm-hmm. the, every classic season every classic story I've seen, Many times, and I will go back and watch a whole season, even the bits I don't like. New Who I will rewatch episodes, but I will pick the ones I want to rewatch. Mm. I was really surprised though when I went back to rewatch this. So I did, did a bit of a count. Six out of the thirteen I have not watched since they were first broadcast in two thousand and six. So for almost half the seasons, is only the second time ever I've seen it. Wow! So so that that was really interesting for me. I have long had the view and I certainly had the view going into this watch that this was comfortably the weakest of the RTD seasons, like comfortably, you know, by, by some margin, the weakest of the RTD seasons, possibly Mm. the weakest of the first five. Uh, So that again is something I was looking for. Like, have I been overly harsh on this? How how does it perform? And, Mm. and there is a certain element as well. And I thought about this as I've watched a lot of fans on, Twitter and social media in this last few weeks, receiving their season twenty-four Blu-rays and going, isn't this a wonderful, fun, rompy season? How much we're we enjoying this, and go, gee, we weren't saying that in nineteen eighty-seven. No, not <laughs> at know, all. We weren't saying that in nineteen eighty-seven. But 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 you know when you're watching an episode of Doctor Who and the whole series hinges on this being good, you you judge it one way. When you watch something that is broadcast, it's now what. what 15 years ago, you don't have that expectation, you don't have that judgement, and you can look at it differently. So they're they're all the frames around which I am watching this series. Any points you want to make in general before we go into the episode, Rob?
1: No, I reckon we should rip in, Dave, because there's a lot to talk about.
0: Well, would you like to kick us off with New Earth?
1: I can, indeed. Um, New Earth, I think aside from a pretty weak resolution which is spoilers everybody mixing every drug in the world to cure every disease in the world and then doubling down on how stupid that is by then letting the cure suddenly become just touch people people who got touched with the uh with the uh solution can now just go up and and touch another person with all these diseases and they get cured as well instantly it It's a bit silly. But aside from that, I think this is actually a really entertaining sort of story. You know, Tennant and Piper have a lot of fun with the body swaps. Um, And in fact, since I watched this and my wife was sort of watching over my shoulder, because she's she's seen all these episodes too, but she's watching over my shoulder. That particular bit where Tennant is possessed by Cassandra and he says, You like it. To to Billy. Oh, that's just become a common refrain in our house ever since then. <laughs> uh, you know, you like it. <laughs> you know, when, whether it's making a piece of toast, you like it <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it's quite fun. Um, but the Cassandra story, to mention her, has real pathos. You know, when we go back and see Zoe Wanamaker at, at that party and it's the last night... She told she was beautiful. And the twist is that it came from herself. And then she died in her own arms. You know, that's some really nice writing. And I've always tended to like this. And I've seen it a bit over the years too. So nothing's really changed for me on it. And I threw... I've I've actually done some scores here, Dave. I've thrown a 7 out of 10 at it. I'm I'm pretty okay with it. It's not genius. It's not brilliant. I'm okay with it though.
0: Yeah, I'm okay with it too. This is an episode that very much went up in my estimation watching it back for the second time ever. There are things in here that I don't like, I'll get to in a moment, but as a piece of 45-minute enjoyable Saturday afternoon television, which which I can now judge it as because it's not the big new opener of the big new season and how's the new Doctor going to go and how's the new series going to be, it's just, hey, I'm going to watch this and have some bit of fun. It, it mm. absolutely works. And, yeah, look, getting Zoe Wanamaker actually... To appear as an actress, a three dimensional actress, uh, rather than just a voice on a you know bad special effect, mm. it, it, it adds a lot to it, and she certainly like sells those final moments in, in a way that perhaps wouldn't have otherwise worked. It's it's not a strong dynamic opener, but it, it is it is a comfortable opener for a mainstream audience, and I, I think that that's the right decision to make
1: yeah and the cat makeup the cat makeup is fantastic in this
0: cat makeup is very
1: impressive yeah
0: and there's there's some really quite dark moments in here as well like I think that we've only appreciated since Russell T Davies left the show just how black that man can be
1: oh there's dark moments in all these stories
0: (laughs) there there is but I think we, we at the time of watching them we sort of thought of Russell T Davies is, all oh, fabulous, all oh, marvellous, all oh, having so much fun. You know, you know that's the sort of <laughs> evuncular personality that we had. Ooh, you know, and uh, we we didn't quite understand just how black the guy's writing could be. But but looking back now, you certainly see it in, in even something as sort of light and fluffy as this. Um, I was very interested that I went into these episodes remembering that I I loathed the Doctor and Rose in this season. Mm -hmm. So I was very interested because I really liked David Tennant in this. He's really charming and engaging and fun and energetic. I really liked Rose in this. She's really strong. Her stuff with Cassandra's really good. But Rose and the Doctor together, I still disliked. Okay. I don't like the way they work with each other. How that evolves over the season, we'll see. Um, And I also noted it was the first reference to the Lonely God, which is just something that makes me go, don't like that. You know, he's not a god. He's just a, he's just a bloke wandering the universe aimlessly.
1: It's thrown, it's just thrown in there. And another thing that's thrown in there is the face of Bo. Like, I'd forgotten those scenes were in there. And, and that, there it is. There comes the music. There he is. And they just get into this sort of mythos and world building straight away because that'll become a much bigger thing it's really weird as
0: well he's he's in there and it's sort of made a big deal of and then he says something cryptic and buggers off
1: yeah yeah earlier on the cat's like oh he's dying it's so sad <laughs> he's not dying at all <laughs> he just be- beams up to the enterprise or something i don't he's know what just, he's not
0: dying he's just bored uh, <laughs> uh no look this 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 was a fun simple story uh, I haven't given marks out of 10, but as I'm going through, I promise to give a letter grade. I'm giving this a simple C.
1: Yeah, C is fair. Tooth and Claw, Davis. next. Do you want to lead with this one? Tooth
0: and Claw, another one that I've rewatched for the first time. This was nothing like I remembered it. Really? I could have sworn that Prince Albert was in this story, and he's clearly not. <laughs> the, wow. The wolf was in far more than I remember it being. I'd yeah. forgotten a whole lot of the subplot with the servants, and there's some really good story in this. There's there's a really good cracking yarn in this, and, and I thought it was very very good. Um, it's very by the numbers, but it's a fun adventure. It's better than I remember. Couple of negatives though. Rose and the Doctor are bloody annoying in this, and yeah. and that clouded my entire memory of this. When I when I was looking back at this story, I said that's the one where the. Doctor and Rose are just so juvenile and so annoying. Um, they, they're not taking it all seriously. And that clouded my whole judgment. But again, when they're separated off and they've got the Rose plot and the Doctor plot, they're fantastic. They're brilliant. Mm, so it was mm. my, memory, my memory was cheating there as well. They were far better than I remembered. Queen Victoria, I've got to say, is terrible in this. I, I don't think the performance from uh, Miss Collins is particularly strong. I think mm. the writing is terrible. At, and, and it's... It's the no effort cliche version of Queen Victoria. It's not the actual Queen Victoria, who you you read her diaries or you read a what about what others wrote about her, particularly at this time of her life. And and she was a very fun, witty, lively mm. companion. You know, she she y- y- yes, she was in mourning for a long time, and yes, she was very austere in some ways. But but people talk about this real bubbly personality that she had, and it's not here. And I don't think she was played well. So that was a big detraction but the ending was really cool we need to talk about the torchwood thing but look yeah I, I i was impressed my bad memories of this were only a small part of a much bigger and better story
1: yeah i mean I, i've made a note that this is the episode where Tennant and piper get very matey and they're having a laugh and you know all that even more than in the previous episode yeah and they're
0: they're, uh, they're they're up there with the channel nine commentary team as the mateiest mates who have mated on television <laughs>
1: But at the same time, I want to say, across these episodes, I don't think it's as much of a thing as people make it out to be. Yes. Because here we've had the first episode where it didn't really happen. Here, yes, yes, it's happening. I mean, it actually makes me laugh. Like when Piper does her Scots accent and Tennant's like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And she goes, Who's mon. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's actually pitch perfect. I laugh out loud when I see that. Yes, you that know. was good, yes. Uh, So that's good. And and like New Earth, I've never really had a beef with that story. I I think I've always thought it was quite fun. The explanation for the werewolf is, is credible. I don't know why the monks had to be kung fu monks. Well, I guess it was for the spectacle of getting into those red outfits and, you know, zooming through the air and doing gymnastics and things. But they didn't have to be that. You know, that, that kind of, that almost takes me out of it. It's like, why are these blokes bloody kung fu monks in the middle of yeah, Scotland? Whenever something like
0: that happens, I, I, I try to imagine Russell T Davies going, the monks are going to be kung fu monks. Don't, don't ask why. It will just be, be marvellous. It It'll be so much fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, so yeah, look, uh, look. there's a lot to enjoy here for me. I, it's another I've seen a bit over the years, so I'm, I'm very familiar with it, and I think it's slightly better than New Earth. I threw a seven and a half at it.
0: Yeah, I've given it a B. The, the, the weak aspects are there. There are horrible Rose and Doctor moments. Victoria is poor, but but they are not nearly the whole story. There's a lot of no. good going on here. Um, and, and I think it is it is a shame that in my memory and in the memory of others, I think, those negatives have detracted from a pretty good cracking story. Torchwood is obviously founded here. I don't think we need to yes. say much more than that other than I think by this stage we knew that Torchwood was a thing that was coming. We knew, we knew there would be a series called Torchwood. Yes. Yes. So this was obviously, oh, they're, they're, they're doing an arc. Ooh, okay.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. It gets mentioned a few times throughout the season, too.
0: So, yes, you've given it a seven. I'm giving it a B.
1: Okie dokie. Next up is School Reunion Mm -hmm. And I'll take lead This one I remembered being all about DeFeels You know, because how great was it to see Sarah Jane back And how great was it to see K-9 back And I don't even like K-9 and I was happy to see him back (laughs) Plus there's all this great dialogue Like Mickey saying, oh the missus and the ex You know, and all (laughs) all that sort of thing Uh, Again, it's another story I've seen a bit of over the years But I think... In this case, it's kind of a game of diminishing returns as the more you look at it, the worse the creatures look. There's so many loose ends that don't feel credible, like, you know, all the the school staff being eaten and, and that's fine. Or a kid blows up the school and that's fine. I, I get that it's meant to appeal to kids and kids apparently want to blow up the school, but even as a kid... I think I'd be a bit shocked at someone blowing up the school. <laughs> what are you doing? You can't blow up the school. Anyway, I sound down on it. I'm really not. It's still actually an 8 out of 10 story for me, if truth be told. But I have found that the first impression left on me was was huge and it's diminished over time in this case.
0: I agree with some of that. Mm-hmm. Let me just reminisce, though, for a moment. Back into 2006... The night before this came out, so the Saturday evening here in Australia before we saw it on a Sunday morning, was the Bucks' Night for a friend of ours in this circle of Doctor Who fans that I, I was a part of. And we started off with a, a, a big steak dinner. We had a tradition in this group that at Bucks' Nights, we all went to this particular steak restaurant and, and the buck had to eat a kilo of steak. Um, oh my God. So we, we had that tradition and our waitress for the night was called Sarah Jane. No. Fair dinkum. And I just remember, like, the whole night was kind of framed through this thing of, like, we all know we want to get up tomorrow morning and watch the episode with Luz Slant in it. Um, It was a really big thing.
1: Did any of you make a gag at the time, like, instead of a tear, Sarah Jane, like... A Beer Sarah Jane or a steak Sarah Jane? We there, there were
0: definitely jokes made at her expense, and she was she was a very good sport to just roll with them. I hope you tipped her well. I, I hope we tipped her well. My, my memory is we did we're, look, we were, we were buying kilo steaks for the group for the buck, you know, we were spending well. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> um look, I re watched this, and I actually had to make almost all of my notes at the end of it rather than through it because. I absolutely love this episode, and I loved it again watching it. I I disagree with you about it being diminishing returns. I actually think that as this goes on, it is aging really, really well, and I just enjoy the feeling of it. I enjoy Liz Sladen. The lines you mentioned are all great lines. I think this is Mickey's best episode in the entire series. Anthony Stewart Head is in Doctor Who now. He's perhaps not as big a name now as he was in two thousand and six, but he was he was huge in 2006, you know, he was coming off Buffy and he was the big star, you know, in a couple of years' time for Merlin and, you know, everything that Anthony Stewart had, had in was, was big at the time. and
1: Little Britain had him.
0: Yeah, he, he, he was a, probably at the height of his career at that stage and just seeing him in Doctor Who, he does a really good job. I, I, I love him there. The adventure's simple, but I don't care. Uh, Rose and the Doctor are much better here and I suspect that being written by somebody other than RTD is actually a good thing.
1: And that's bearing out my comment that they're not obnoxious in every episode. That's
0: absolutely right. They're they're really not. In fact, the dialogue between Rose and Sarah Jane is some of the best stuff in in the episode. Um, Although the the dialogue between Tennant and Sarah Jane... and For for me, this is where Tennant arrives in the role. Where he shows Mm. he really can bring it down a notch. And and have that very... That that real power and, and depth to the Doctor that I... Really look for. I think that's here. Is it perfect? No. Look, I agree with you. The Krilltane effects—they have dated terribly. They—they yeah. they don't just look like you know slightly older bits of CGI. They look like bad CGI. They—they—they yeah. they, they have aged very very badly. Um, but that's really my only criticism of it. Yeah, it's simple, but I don't care. Um, I do wonder what the kids made of Canine. Whether. A kid, you know, watching for the first time at the age of eight or nine in two thousand six would have gone, "That's a cool robot dog," or whether they're like, "What the hell is that?"
1: <laughs>
0: Don't know the answer to that genuine, genuine question I put out there. Uh, I'm giving this an A.
1: Yeah, well, A from you, eight out of ten for me. It is a good, good episode.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. I really enjoyed watching that one back, and, and and look, this is one I have watched a few times since, and uh, it's one I'm very, very fond of.
1: Okay, girl in the fireplace. Do you want to take lead on this, day? Girl in the
0: fireplace is an episode that I. Again, I have not watched for 15 years, because I detested it when I watched it the first time. Really? It it comes between two brilliant Stephen Moffat episodes. I, I think that Empty Child is one of the best episodes of New Whoever. I think that Blink is one of the best episodes of New Whoever. And I can't stand or couldn't stand Girl in the Fireplace. So I was kind of watching it, genuinely trying to give it an open mind. And there is a lot of good in it. Um, I will say that the spaceship effects look really dated now. Mm. That, that is a shame. The playing with time is really interesting. And I'd, I'd forgotten just how much they did with it and how they had all the different rooms around the spaceship with all the different access ways. I, I just thought there was one fireplace and one room and everything. So there, there was more to do that, and I was really engaged by that. It's, mm. it's got some nice moments. The Well, what's that ticking? That's a really cool moment. The design of the robots is a really cool design. However, I hate The Kiss. Right. I don't buy The Romance. I think the second half is really slow. And it's a little bit schmaltzy. And I think it does hinge entirely on whether you buy The Doctor falling in love with this woman. And, and, and I also can't help but judge it a bit through the prism of now having seen Amy Pond and The Eleventh Doctor and being very uncomfortable with the whole implications of the obsession that the Amy character has with the doctor that she she meets this man as a child and becomes obsessed with him and sexually obsessed with him and all the rest of it mm-hmm. that, 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 that that there is a proto version of that happening here with Madame de pompadour and mm-hmm. and that sits very badly with me you know this this bloke that she met for 3 minutes as a kid and and now she's grown up and she's sexually excited by him and it's all a romance. Mm-hmm. I, I don't buy it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It, it is unfortunate that, yes, I am seeing it through the Amy prison. So although I like this episode more and I saw a lot more positives in it and the first third is really clever, it's still not a pass from me. Uh, I've given it a C+, which I think is a... Wow. It's better than I would have expected going into it. I would have given this a D or even an E going into it. Um, so it went up in my estimation, but only so far... I don't buy what's at the heart of this.
1: Well, we're going to diverge here quite a bit, Dave. Oh, awesome, <laughs>
0: awesome. I like it when we do that.
1: Because to me, this was a revelation at the time. And I think for a lot of fandom it was too. I think it's very popular out there in fandom. I, I am
0: very happy to say that the majority of fandom opinion is on your side on this one, not mine. I'm, I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware I'm in the minority. But, um, you know, I, I stand by my views
1: okay for me we have the doctor here as a a dashing young hero for the for the first time since maybe Davo you know um of course he's pushing it further and he's goofier than Davo ever would have been but uh, it works the premise to me is great we and we get one of those unquiet dead endings where you know like we learn how Dickens died here we have the doctor told that Madame de Pompadour has died and and all of that that's that's a great ending but before all of that those clockwork robots you're quite right are really beautiful to look at they're Mm. a real mystery the creepy ship with the human parts built into it like the beating heart when mickey looks behind that hatch and there's a heart in there it's like oh my god this is event horizon or something this is this is quite nuts let me emphasize that stuff
0: was really cool and i'd forgotten i was really impressed by it this time
1: cool cool yeah so this has got a bit of everything to me even the absurdity of having the horse on the spaceship you know i i see that and i I just laugh to me to me this is moffat just having a laugh and it's it's great and and i'm giving it the biggest score i've given any of these episodes thus far this is eight and a half out of ten for me even after all these years i i love this
0: no that's really cool look if i was judging the first third to half I'll give it a very high score. I don't like the second half, uh, but that's fine. Look, it landed for you, and that's great.
1: Mm, yeah, I, I particularly like too where the Doctor thinks once the uh, the mirror is broken that he's trapped, and he he's going to have to you know go the long way around basically to get back to the TARDIS. I love that sort of stuff in Doctor Who, where the Doctor thinks he's lost the TARDIS or can't or is trapped somewhere. I I, I love those kind of conundrums and wondering how they'll get out of it.
0: No, that's 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 fair enough.
1: Moving on, uh, shall we do these two parters as just like one overall story?
0: Uh, that's how I've done my notes, so I'm very happy to.
1: Okay, so we got The rise, Rise of the Cybermen and The Age of Steel. Now, this is a story I've seen sparingly over the years because I've always had it in my head that it was a bit rubbish. I didn't like the idea at the time of this alternate backstory for the Cybermen at all. It's like, no, no, the Cybermen are the Cybermen. We, they, they don't need an alternate backstory. This is, this is silly, particularly when it's just like an Earth businessman turning them into essentially robots, like stampy robots. I'm a little easier on it nowadays, but at the time, this was yuck. But again, watching it again, all the bits that were good the first time around, some jokes, some good characters like Mrs. Moore, all of that was still really good. And I didn't mind the rest. Of course, I still roll my eyes a bit at the Cybermen stamping around and being robotic and all that stuff I just mentioned. But broadly, it's fine. It's still not the, you know, quotation marks, epic two-parter I think they want it to be. But I think it's better than I thought it was. And I'd probably throw a 7 out of 10 at it. Just. You know, it's in that sort of territory for me.
0: Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I alluded earlier that I needed to talk about the spoiler men. Right. <laughs> we, we we talk now about, you know, Doctor Who rumors and spoilers and, and how tight Chibnall keeps everything. I can remember just how desperate the production team was to try and convince us that the Cybermen might not be back for episode for, for Series 2. Like, I know we did the Daleks last time. and You all you all think we're going to do the Cybermen this time, but we, we might not, you know, until we say it. It's not happening, and it's all just rumours. And we, uh, we again, in our circle of friends, started to refer to them as the Spoilermen from then on in, because, you know, you can't say Cybermen. You know, the production team said... And, and, and even now, occasionally in a conversation, we'll just reference Spoilermen rather than Cybermen. So uh, just a fun little thing then. My memories of this rob were very similar to yours and i have rewatched it since but not for a long time mm. i watched rise of the Cybermen. at the end of that i i was actually really enjoying myself i thought this mm. is a really fun adventure it, it's got its faults now i stand by my view that roger lloyd pack is the worst piece of missed casting in the whole <laughs> of doctor who I, I don't know whether he could have done a better job and the direction was wrong. And, you know, this, this is a, an example of that. But, but you've got this sort of adventure going on and then you cut to Roger Lloyd-Pack sort of doing the, and now I will do a bad thing because
1: I am the bad guy. On Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. it's so,
0: so bad. And, and unfortunately that performance completely fails to sell... Until really his last scene, this idea of the the, the desperation that he is driving him to do it—like I could see what the script is wanting him to do—and and if this was a a man confronted with his mortality and his failing health and his frailty as a human and desperate to live forever, I could buy that. But instead, he's sort of doing this Superman comic villain thing, and it's terrible. And and I also don't quite buy that the. The answer to I want to live forever is to become a Cyberman. Mm. Because given that he's deliberately cutting their humanity out, uh, I don't, I just, yeah, it doesn't quite work for me. So
1: that. T- to be fair, though, they convert him against his will.
0: True, but he still created this thing. Like, he, his, his aim is to be a Cyberman.
1: Yeah, but maybe with with a mind. Maybe. Look, maybe
0: look, maybe maybe. So so look, I've 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 emphasised that point because I think it's a big bad point. But but at the end of it, I was really enjoying this. I was enjoying the setup. I was enjoying the alternate reality. The stuff with the earpods where everyone everyone just stops and gets downloaded is, is just stupid. But it sells a point. I get that. Whatever. Um, you yeah. know. Don't worry. They'll, they'll all stop it. And they'll 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 all have it downloaded, and it will all be really good. Like okay, fine. <laughs> but 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 that first episode was a cracking little adventure. I really quite enjoyed it. It completely falls apart in the second episode. Yeah. I, I think that it is a missed trick with the Cybermen. The, the story of Cybermen, and, and Moffat did this better when we got to World Enough and Time, and I think we've said on the podcast many times, you and I both love World Enough and Time. Yes. Th- that, that sense of utter despair and utter desperation where you have no choice but to become a Cyberman, to give up some of your humanity. That That is a really important part for me of what makes the Cybermen work. And the idea of just sort of being hypnotized and then pushed into a room where a cartoon pair of scissors and some lasers turn into a robot doesn't work for me. It, it, it just doesn't. The resolution's really trite and tacky. There's lots of action that doesn't quite work. Yeah, there's some nice characters, but I thought I was going to love this halfway through. If I was giving Rise of the Cybermen a grade, it would be a B. Mm. Age of Steel would be a D. Altogether... Some good adventure, let down by some terrible acting, some bad resolutions, C+. Uh, Did enjoy it, but let down by the ending.
1: Isn't it interesting, though, that the Cybermen here, they just cut out the brain and stick the brain in a machine, essentially. So it's not even like the old Cybermen where there was a human body augmented. There's no body at all, aside from the brain. But then they're removing all the emotions. And it's like, well, that's kind of what the brain is good for. (laughs) It's a very strange setup.
0: It is. Do you remember going back, Rob, when everyone was wondering if Mrs. Moore was going to turn out to be Ace?
1: Really? No, I don't remember <laughs> oh, that at all. Oh,
0: I do. Like, Mrs. Moore—that's a codename for someone. Maybe she's Ace. You know? Wow. I think people were certainly expecting her to be more than she turned out to be, which, which is a shame because she's probably one of the best characters in this. I will also add, because I've been quite negative, the Ricky, Mickey, Jake stuff is fantastic. That's really clever. It's really well-performed. It's really good to look at. Um, I really enjoyed their little subplot, which, again, kind of comes to an end early in the second half.
1: Yeah, true. Next up, Dave, the Idiot's Lantern, and appropriately... I know you like this episode. I know that already. (laughs) You've got the lead on this.
0: I have, and I do. Uh, I love this story so very, very much, I, again, have almost no notes here because I just got utterly enthralled in this story when I was watching it. It is so easy to watch. It is so lovely to watch. Uh, Mm. The Doctor in the 1950s is just a perfect setting. They capture that vibe really well. I, I feel like I know the characters. Yes, they're a little heightened, particularly the dad, a little heightened, but that's television and it's certainly television when you've got Mark Gatiss writing and RTD script editing him. Like, what else are you going to get? Um, It it all works well. I think it's a really cool villain. I love the resolution, the the action, the the, the doctor on a tower, in the wind, having to do techie stuff to make the world Mm -hmm. safe. Look, it's not a classic. It's not a big epic, but it is so lovely to watch. It has a message. The message is not round home, but it is so clearly there, and it's such a heartfelt one. This is another A for me. It's there with School Reunion as just a really enjoyable watch and one of my favourites of the season. Love it so much. Rob, do you agree with me?
1: Well, before I get to whether I agree with you or not, I want to mention just Rose broadly in, in the previous episode and this. More examples of Rose not being, you know, over the top with the Doctor. She's she, At the start of this story, she's, she's having a bit of fun because she thinks they're going to see Elvis and that's kind of cool, but it's not too over the top. And in the previous episode, I I was remiss to to not mention that uh, she just wants to go off and do her own thing and not be with the Doctor at all. She wants to go and find a family. So another couple of examples of the Doctor and Rose not being overbearing in these two episodes. It
0: it is helped by the fact that she loses her face for two-thirds of it.
1: Well, that's right. She's sidelined and the Doctor gets a different companion in, in, in the form of the young boy. Tommy. Tommy. But when she is doing her thing, this is something I wanted to mention about Rose in general in this series particularly in The Idiot's Lantern, she tries to be like the Doctor. You know, here where the Doctor tears off on his moped, she stays behind and talks to the mother and, you know, stands up to the father and all of that sort of stuff. But vitally, although you, sh- you could say she tries to be like the Doctor, and I do say she tries to be like the Doctor, and say exactly the same of Clara in later seasons, the way Rose does it here, I never find obnoxious or arrogant like Clara. So that, that's just something I wanted to just tease out to the side here. In this story in particular, I see it a lot. She's trying to be the Doctor, but it's done so much better than Clara trying to be the Doctor. I,
0: I agree, although I do think she sails dangerously close to it at a few points. Okay,
1: that's fair. Now, to answer your question, this is a story I haven't watched much over the years because my perception of it has been a bit meh. And I know you've always championed it on the show. And every time every time you've done that, I've thought, why, Dave? Why? <laughs> I, I, I have know.
0: occasionally got that sense of your day's going on about the Idiot's Lantern again. Okay, I'll, I'll just let it pass.
1: Indeed. <laughs> um, after, after this viewing, however, I felt a bit warmer towards it. You know, it's got the decent location shooting. It's got the interesting premise. There are some good performances. I think the dad, you, you raised the dad, I think the dad is interesting insofar as he's almost warm towards his son in the first scene. And that actually surprised me because I remember the dad was a bit of a bastard. Mm. But in the first scene where he's like, oh yeah, we, we might get a TV, son. I th- ruffled his hair. Yeah, I, I could be totally inventing that in my head. But he was somehow warm to him, I think when they were talking about getting a television. But then in the rest of the episode, he's just this red-faced, shouty man. <laughs> which which, were you saying it was a heightened sort of thing
0: e- exaggerated
1: perhaps exaggerated yeah that's made him a sort of interesting character although I still couldn't quite get into that relationship myself but overall I thought this actually isn't as bad as I thought it was sometimes the memory does cheat or maybe just sometimes you mellow over the years and I, I've, I'm throwing a 7 out of 10 at it okay I can accept that
0: uh, just just as I know that I am not as big a fan of Girl in the Fireplace as many people, I I know that yeah. many people are not as big a fan of the Idiot Lantern as I am. That's okay.
1: Touché, touché.
0: The next big two-parter, and Rob, you're going to lead us on this.
1: Yes, now we move on to The Impossible Planet and The Satan Pit. And going into this rewatch, I would have said these are the two episodes that are my favourite. Mm-hmm. And I still think they're really good, but maybe they're not as good as I remember.
0: (gasps) Are they still your favourite?
1: Well, let's get to the end of the season and we'll see. Uh, (laughs) Because Cards on the Table, this still rates pretty highly with me. This is still around eight, eight and a half, that sort of proposition for me. But some things really stood out. Like the first episode seems to go on forever and ever. You know, some of these rewatchers just felt they sped past but the first episode of this and knowing there was a second to come my god I felt it was slow and in the case of the memory cheating I thought the doctor when he got down into the pit and he met the creature in the pit I thought he actually spoke to that creature and I guess he does speak but the the creature doesn't talk back all of its talking is done elsewhere the doctor just acts against this roaring Mindless monster. I'd completely forgotten that. I thought he went down into the pit and had a conversation with Satan. You know. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, that doesn't actually happen. I made a note that the Doctor and Rose were a bit obnoxious at the start of this one. Probably their most obnoxious since Tooth and Claw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I will note that. I've been noting the episodes where I don't think it was happening, but here I think it was. But on the whole, it's it's a hard one to discuss because. I've always liked it, but I started to see flaws in this one. It was, it was similar to School Reunion in that sense, that this is something I've really liked and maybe I've just overcooked it in my brain to the point where when I do rewatch it, I think, oh, was it actually as good as I thought it was?
0: And what did you score it?
1: Well, I, I said a moment ago, it's an eight, eight and a half. Let's go eight and a half. It's still really good, but it's not quite as good as I thought it was. So that's equal
0: with your best so far? It is. Okay. I've given out two A's so far this season, and yeah. with this one, I'll say it up front, I'm giving out an A+. This, wow. this this, to me is one of the top two or three stories of the Tenet era, and it's probably one of the top five or six stories of New Who. This is exceptionally good, and I watched it back and was utterly enthralled by it once again. Let's start off with the obvious stuff. It is visually spectacular. Whether it's mm-hmm. the, the, the black hole, the way the space base is set up. And sorry, my, my nerdy fanboy heart is just beating <laughs> for a great big space base on an asteroid, under a black hole, with cool aliens. Like this is this is Doctor Who. This is fantastic.
1: Their rocket looks pretty cool as well. The
0: rocket looks cool. The 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 big Garley monster I think has aged far better than a lot of the other effects in this season and still looks really cool and certainly sells the tale. I think the characters are all wonderful. Uh, Gabriel Wolf coming back to do the voice is spectacular. It is a little bit of a shame that when I watched it, we were going, does that mean Sutek's back? I hope Sutek's back. I hope he's playing Sutek.
1: <laughs> um,
0: and I do think we were let down a bit in the second episode. It's like, oh, it's not Sutek. Mm. Um, but relieved of that, it's just great to have that wonderful voice acting back. I, I love the characters. I love the acting. I love what happens with Yud. I love the threat of the whole thing. I I love the captain. He's so good. Mr. Security Guard is so good. Uh, Toby is a really cool character. The female characters are really wonderful. Uh, when that young girl, you know, when, they, when she when she dies, she's only twenty. You know, that's a wonderful yeah. moment in, in in terms of drama, and that, and that's where this this RTD sort of you know soapy, touchy feely stuff. Blended with with you know outer space sci-fi it comes off so so well.
1: Oh, and the brutality we were talking about earlier, like the the girl floating in space, that's brutal. Yeah, killing all the ood. Yes, <laughs> it's
0: pretty brutal too. Absolutely, and and I, and I like it for it. I, I I like it for it. Even watching this again, I I kind of vaguely remembered who survived, but I was still getting a bit like, oh, I hope they survive. I hope. Oh no, you know, I was still getting those moments for them. I will say a couple of couple of detracting things. Uh, the Doctor Rose stuff is the easiest weakest stuff of the episode. The bit where they sit down and 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 it was like watching a couple of sixteen year olds flirt. You know, Rose is sort of doing that that kind of pathetic. If if I keep just mentioning us and a life together in the same sentence, maybe maybe he'll kind of reach that conclusion too. It was really badly written, really pathetic. Uh-huh. Um, I I don't think Rose has served quite all that well in this episode. Um. She's probably given not much to do at the expense of some of the guests, which is fine. Tenet is really good. I still, though, having watched this many times, don't quite know what happens at the end. I don't quite know why the Doctor had to upset the status quo, because it's sort of like, if I upset the status quo, then I'm falling into your trap. But if I do that, you're falling into their trap. So I'll upset the status quo to end you. But if he just left everything as it was, everything would have been fine. <laughs> Mm. Um, like, there, there, there wasn't a sense of, you know, the Beast has been rejuvenating his power and now he can, you know, he's breaking free. It's like, no, um, he's he's hypnotized the mood and they're going to wipe out the base. But, um, you know, the Ood were going to come and release his chains. Um, and if they had let him out of the, his intelligence out of the vases, the planet would have tipped into the black hole. So I, I don't think the ending quite works, but it's one of those very new who very RTD things of, who cares? I'm just having great fun with the action. So, look, a couple of faults, but basically an A-plus from me.
1: It, it is a good story. I just wanted to reinforce that, for me, it's one of these ones where I've really liked it and gone back and found it wasn't as good, which is the opposite to other episodes where I've gone, mm, I'm not so sure about this, and I've, I've actually liked it more when I've gone back, like no. like Idiot's Lantern, for example.
0: No, fair enough, but no, A-plus. A A-plus. Very good. Love and Monsters.
1: Yeah. This is you leading, I think.
0: It is. Uh, I have seen this twice. I saw it on broadcast, and I saw it about a year later to see if it was what I remembered, but I haven't seen it for a long time. Okay. Going into it, I definitely noticed just how much the cast, and this is true of a lot of the era, were very much hot property at the time. Like, I sort of went through each member of the cast... And said, I remember you being big in this at the time. You're in The Bill at the time. And you're in Harry Potter at the time. And you're in State of Play at the time. And they're all really quite big names.
1: Oh, well, Mark Warren, who plays Elton Pope. Yes. I I guess in theory, he's almost the lead for this story. He was in uh, one of the later episodes of Spooks. And I did that big Spooks rewatch recently. Oh right, yes. I was like, oh, it's Elton from Love and Monsters. No, I, but in that he's a stone cold killer. <laughs> yeah, no, I,
0: I, I certainly remember. There was sort of three or four years after this. It was like, there's that guy from Love and Monsters again. Like he was really big at the time, and he, he's still quite big. But but you know that was definitely very big. Yeah. Watching this, I was reminded in some ways of some episodes of Babylon Five where. JMS, as a showrunner, would decide that he needed to shake things up a bit and do an episode with something a bit different. So he would reach into his writer's tool bag and grab something very different and say, this is what I'm doing this time. And that's clearly yeah. what RTD is doing here. He's, he said, I need to shake this up. I need to do something very different. So he's doing it from a different perspective. It's, it's being done as a piece of evidence, if you like, a, a story being told by someone outside the TARDIS group from that person's perspective. Which is interesting, and I'm watching it, and I'm I'm quite engaged. Mm-hmm. Then it just starts to kind of become a bit boring, and then okay. the characters just sort of start to do stuff. I'm just going, why well, Why are they doing that? Then the villain arrives, and he's just so obviously wickedly bad. You kind of go, why Why are they even listening to this guy? And then he becomes the absorber off. And then you're just sort of taking these lovely, wonderful people that we've made a point of going are very lovely, ordinary people and killing them horribly. The Doctor doesn't really seem to care that they've all died horribly. It ends up very unpleasantly. I think the resolution for Elton is and, and his girlfriend sits very badly with me. I went from quite enjoying this and quite engaged and, and, and intellectually engaged by it to being quite bored by it, to being quite turned off by it. Um, mm. Which was a shame, and I've given it a D. I can't give it any higher because it left a very it left me in a very sour mood. I've got to say.
1: Yeah, that final line about their love life, I still can't believe ended up in a kids show.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's very distasteful.
1: However, let's rewind to the start. Mm. This this has always been a controversial episode of Fandom. Yeah, but I've got to say, the first time I saw it, I kind of liked it
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it was this riff on Fandom. It was exactly like our local fan group that we had had back in the late 80s with the way that we'd all come together for the Doctor Who uh, and in this case literally these characters had come together for the Doctor Who because they're looking for the Doctor. But then in this fan group we all had other interests that we brought to the table So I I have very vivid memories when I was, say, 13, 14 years old. we'd, We'd gather for our overnight Doctor Who meeting, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday night. You know, this happened once or twice a year. It'd be like, let's watch Doctor Who all night and have a sleepover. And that eventually morphed into us changing into army clothes. And my friend lived on this acreage and we'd all go off and hide in the dark in army clothes and sort of play this advanced Game of murder in the dark For most of the <laughs> evening Rather than watching Doctor Who So I've actually been in a fan group Where you've come together for one thing But then you've morphed into something else And for us it was like playing soldiers in the dark <laughs> And here they they form a band For example So I was like oh I get that And then this guy joins the group Who doesn't quite fit And yeah I get that too Because that happened both at a, a local level And a, a sort of a, a, a state level And I think because of the nature of these fan groups, they sort of get accepted. And it's like, oh, that that guy's a bit of a bastard or that guy's a bit of a prick, whatever. But they they still get accepted in these fan groups. And so that sort of rang true to me that although you're saying he's he's so blatantly evil, why are they following him? I'm thinking, well, it's kind of how the fan groups are. You know, someone comes in who no one likes, but no one wants to sort of stand up and say, we don't like you, get out. And so they sort of end up staying. So to me, all of these sort of fan references were ringing true. I've never had a beef with the story, even the off being absolutely bonkers. I think the story sets out to do what it wants to do, which is to be just weird and bonkers and a riff on fandom and all that sort of stuff. The ending is, like I say, I can't believe it's in a children's show, <laughs> but I don't think I have quite the reaction that you have. So for me... This is 7 out of 10 territory. Again, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, it's the most wonderful thing ever. Wasn't it so different and zany and wacky and all of that? It's it's an episode, but I'm not down on it, I don't think, like you are.
0: Fair enough. Mm. Fear Her, the one that I think most fans would certainly say has the reputation as, as, uh, <laughs> as the worst of the season. And I think there was even a DWM poll where it was, like, not only the only New Who story in the bottom 30 or 40, but, like, At the bottom, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, this was the episode of the series that I disliked the most uh, and subsequently seen the least. And that was without being in sort of organized fandom too much at the time. I I just really disliked it. And when I got into fandom a bit more and realized everyone else disliked, I thought, yep, they're quite right. (laughs) What's interesting is that I was some way into my rewatch here and I wasn't minding it. And I kept asking myself again, does the memory cheat? What, what did I actually have a beef with? Because I've gotten into it quite some way here, and, and this is fine, and, and that, that was actually good. What is going on? Have, have I massively misremembered this? Has all the fandom misremembered this? And then the child got Possessed and did the whispering voice thing, Dave. She whispers like this, and, you know... Um, I'll stop talking like that. Please. Uh, which which I think is probably really good acting for a child of that age. You know, I think she's like, oh, I've got to pretend to be possessed, I'll do this voice, and, you know, I, I think that's probably quite good for that child at that age. But I just found it annoying to watch. And then the whole thing just falls into a heap. And I was like, ah, that's why I disliked it. Thank you. And, you know, it took a while to happen, but there it is. But it was probably still a bit better than my memory had let me think. I think I'd concentrated more on the ending and thought, yeah, that was crap. And so the whole thing was crap. Overall, I'd throw maybe a five out of 10 at it, something like that, which actually feels harsh, but it's not really. I think, I think five out of 10 is fair for this.
0: I thought Fear Her was fine.
1: Wow, okay.
0: Uh, Not good, not amazing, but fine. I got to the end of it and I thought, that was okay. It certainly wasn't the absolute disaster that I was expecting or that I remembered. Uh, Yes, the Scribble Monster special effect is embarrassingly bad. Yeah. And and yes, it kind of gets a bit weird and silly towards the end. Is it an episode I'm going to come back to again in a hurry? No, it's not. I, I did feel very sorry for poor Hugh Edwards having to do that, that commentary, oh, look, everybody's disappeared. I wonder what that means. This is a terrible thing for the games. There's there's, <laughs> there's, there's some terrible lines in that that, that I, I, I can only assume is meant to sound disingenuous. Um, but it, it's not good. Um, yeah. I thought it was fine. I, I don't really have much more to say about that. I've given it a C, which is the same as I gave New Earth. And, and I think both of them are very simple, fine little pieces of television. Not great. They're okay.
1: Talking about you saying you you weren't too sure about the end of the Satan Pit and what actually really happened, I wasn't too sure about this one because Billy Piper goes running after the Olympic torch, does that ridiculous toss of the rock, which is really a spaceship, into the Olympic torch at quite some distance. And that sort of frees these creatures or whatever it does. It heats them up and off they go. Why then is the drawing of the girl's father in the cupboard still alive? Because I thought all these drawings were sort of, you know, being animated by the, the aliens. Why, why is that still a thing if, if the problem has been solved? I didn't get that. And I just said, oh yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah, look, look, it's only got a C. <laughs> and, 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 and that's because the plot doesn't really work. But but as a piece of, you know, 45 minute drama, I thought it was fine. I, I, okay. I, I, I didn't walk away hating this in the way I walked away really disliking Love of Monsters.
1: Into the final two part now, Dave. Wow.
0: My first time watching these in 15 years. No, really? Really. I I detested these when I watched them.
1: Then or now?
0: Then. Then. Let me hasten to add. Then. Um, I, I, will, I will say up front, I have improved my view of these quite a bit re-watching them. W- okay. w- once again, the things that I remembered being particularly bad actually weren't that big a part of what was going on. There's a lot in the first episode particularly I liked. I, I like the setup. It's really interesting. It's really intriguing. I, I like the way that we go straight into, right, there are ghosts. This is what we're talking about. And then we get a Cyberman 11 minutes in, and then the ghosts turn into Cybermen fairly quickly. Like, like this really goes quite fast. I dislike the whole, I'm Rose, and this is how I die. It's like, we know you're not dying. And, and pretending you are is just trying to turn the feels up to 11, and that I find disingenuous. I don't like that. The Ghostbusters gag just made me go out loud.
1: Um, mm. why, why does he do a Scooby-Doo voice when he does that? I don't know.
0: I don't <laughs> that, know. That,
1: that always confused me. I thought you're, you're mashing up two different things there, Dave. Um, Yvonne is an in- Dave Tennant, that is. Yes, that's
0: right. I, I, Yvonne is an interesting character. Like She does feel very hastily written. It's sort of like... She's obsessed by the British Empire, and she reads a lot of modern management practices, so therefore she's awful. Um, mm. <laughs> and that seems to be like a little bit too, too easy and too simple. Um, but I like what Torchwood is doing. I really, really, really like the premise of Torchwood at this point. That idea that, yes, mankind is salvaging alien tech and using it to advance. I think that's a really interesting, clever idea. Mm. Um, Mickey yeah. comes back and he's all about the Cybermen that's really cool the cliffhanger is a really effective misdirect where you think it's going to be all about the Cybermen and the Cybermen are like well, what's Sphere we don't know the Sphere's on us who cares about the Sphere it's like oh well, what's, what's the deal with the Sphere and you get a really good exciting cliffhanger yeah the idea of Cybermen versus Daleks mm-hmm. should never have been done on screen because it can never be as good as you expect it to be. And and the big problem here is having spent an episode building up. In fact, having spent a season in some ways, building up the Cybermen as the big bad of the the, the season, to then have the Daleks come in and basically wipe them out ridiculously easily with a bit of bitchy banter in between is, <laughs> is, is a letdown. Nicholas Briggs is really struggling with the Dalek voices in this one. He, he is great at doing a Dalek voice. He's not good at doing multiple Dalek voices. Certainly here. He, he might improve as things go on, but he's really struggling here. Rose talking about how awesome she is is really boring to me. Like, I'm Rose, and I did this, and I'll like, oh, shut up. You know, if you need to tell us <laughs> it's not, it's not good. But there's some really cool excitement and adventure and action happening, and that kind of kept me going in a way that Age of Steel didn't keep me going. So so mm. I respect that. It it's very easy to pull apart the second half of this, and I did start to do that. But I do need do need to stress The action is really good, and that keeps us going. So I think the second half is weaker, but still a fun watch. I want to talk about the conclusion separately, but I'll give you a chance to talk a bit about the episodes first.
1: Okay. Well, similar to Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, this was one I knew I liked going in, Mm -hmm. and one that I'd seen a a few times over the years. But similar to those episodes, the rewatch took it down a notch for me. It's still maybe an 8 out of 10 kind of proposition for me. It still has some great lines. It still has spectacle, even if some of it is a bit silly, especially when uh, all the Daleks are getting sucked into the um, back into the building. And they're all getting sucked in. Like, thousands of Daleks are getting sucked through basically like a window. <laughs> and I thought, that just wouldn't work like that. They'd start hitting the building and start smashing the building. You know... I'm nitpicking.
0: So did, did, did you also notice that the Genesis arc doubles in size between the set and the, uh, the CGI's outside? Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, it, it splits up the Doctor and Rose in a brutal way. It has that awesome piece of music when that happens with that bass line and all that sort of stuff. So it still does a lot of good stuff. But again, I think it's overcooked in my mind over the years. Mm-hmm. And when I was actually watching it, it no longer lived up to what it was in my head. It's certainly nowhere near what I thought it was back in 2006. Back in 2006, I disagree with you here, I would have said, oh, that's 10 out of 10, and I felt completely moved by it and thought it was the the best of what New Who could deliver. I, w- I was blown away by this back in the day, and now I just see it as like an 8 out of 10. Yeah, that was good, but mm, it's not what I thought it was.
0: It's really interesting you say that because I would also say that my memory overcooked that ending, uh, but because I saw it in a negative way, it, it, it overcooked it in a heightenedly bad way and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was there, there is a moment where the Doctor's explained what the plan is and what everybody has to do where the Doctor sneaks up behind Rose he puts the teleporting dimension jumping thing on her and zaps them all into the, another reality and I, mm. and I thought that is such a cool moment and such a Doctor moment to, to take the decision out of the Companion's hands because it's the right thing to do on a on a bigger scale and it it, it, it reminded me of Tom's doctor putting Sarah Jane off the TARDIS. You know, it was that moment of you can't come with me anymore and just doing it.
1: It's something I expect Smith to do.
0: Yeah, Smith. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Smith, For, Tom. From Tenet, it's almost unexpected.
0: Yeah, and that, that really helped us. I thought that that is such a cool moment. Totally undermined by the fact that she just presses it again six seconds later and she's back. And, yeah. and, and, and to give us this really sort of forced moment. Now, having a number of times on this podcast called out Jodie Whittaker's Doctor for being a bit pathetic and sort of just being helpless and, and not liking it. I do have to say I got the same vibe when Rose is struggling to, to hold on and all the rest of it, and, and the Doctor's just like reaching out to her and he's he, he's utterly pathetic and utterly helpless and, and, and acting kind of, you know, pathetic, and I, I, I didn't like that. I do think it's cool that Pete's the one who gets to save her, I think it's cool that she goes back to the other world. Look, I do understand. I do accept that the only way for Rose to leave the Doctor was to have no choice. Yeah. But I would have liked it to have been done that first way, not that second way. I don't buy the whole burning up a star to say goodbye sort of thing. It's like, you know, have a bit of class and go out at the right spot. Now, Mm. I, I would fully accept if you're somebody who totally buys the idea of the Doctor and Rose as... Uh, emotional lovers, intellectual lovers, and protect p- potentially even physical lovers. If you buy into that that sort of um, dynamic, you know, to, to to go back to our theme of the episode or one theme of the episode, that soap opera dynamic of of we care about the relationship more than the plot. I get that that would be a huge like oh my god, teary sort of moment. I don't. I I'm more interested in lots of cool Daleks shooting lots of cool laser beams because I'm you know. Emotionally stunted or something, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> so so the whole sort of falls flat. Yeah. So, so look, this episode went up considerably in my view. I've given the whole thing a B. I, I, I really like the first half. The second half is fine. Um, the sidemen are wasted. Sorry. The moment the Daleks come on screen, nobody cares about the sidemen anymore, including the script writer. And the ending's a bit forced. But lots of cool moments. Loved to see Mickey back. Lovely to see Jack back. Jake back. Um, Loving to see Pete Tyler back. Glad mm. to see the end of Rose's mum. I know a lot of people love it. I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> As I said, it's it's gone from a story I thought was really terrible to a B. Like a lot of this 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 series, a lot of it I have come back and thought of a lot more fondly. I haven't elevated all of it to greatness, but mm. a lot of ones I had clouded memories of, I've I've just enjoyed.
1: Yeah, well, there's nothing here that I'm saying. Oh, ten out of ten, or even nine out of ten. You know.
0: Well, look, I've, I've given one A-plus and two A's, and I think they are my favourite yeah. three of the series. Um, and, look, I've given a D, but everything else is a C or above, and that's all very watchable.
1: Should we summarise all of this, Dave?
0: So, a couple of summary points that I wanted to make. Mm. Uh, the first is a point that we raised a bit in our episode some years ago on Queer in Who, and it really stood out to me watching this episode back just how much there was a sort of a, like, gay-but-not-gay gay vibe all the way through this. You have, mm-hmm. you have Ricky, who was written to be uh, the lover of Jake. And then they cut the scene where they reveal it. But, but it's very clear watching um, Jake's reaction to Ricky's death that that is clearly what the character is meant to be. But they pull back from going on screen. Uh, Tommy and the Idiot's Lantern was in the first draft of the script written to overtly be gay and actually have a crush on the Doctor. And, and they pulled that back, although again in the dialogue, if you know what you're looking for, it's clearly there.
1: The the Mummy's Boy line. The Mummy's
0: Boy line, a whole lot of stuff about that. Toby in the Satan's Pit is, again, kind of hinted and, 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 and can be read as being gay. There are other examples, all of which the show pulls back from. And it just, I thought, was so interesting. Disappointing in a way, but so of its time. Like, in 2006, even Russell T. Davies, Doctor Who, wasn't willing to actually go on screen. That character is gay. There were several times they've gone really close, but they didn't quite do it.
1: And and so much for the so-called gay agenda.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so look, I want to make that general point. Otherwise, I enjoyed watching this. It has been elevated in my view. There are lots of good adventures. There's only one that I think is overtly bad, and there are two that I think are mostly harmless. There's one I love, A+, two I really enjoy, A's... I do stand by my view that the Doctor and Rose together are often annoying, and they are a big weakness of the series, but I have appreciated that the Doctor on his own and Rose on her own are both really strong still, and so that's been been a positive that I've taken away. David Tennant here is really engaging, and he's not the -the over-the-top mugger that I remember him being, I suspect Mm. because that's what he's going to become in in, (laughs) in later series. David Tennant went up, again, in my estimation, watching this, but overall... It felt like a very consistent season. It felt Mm -hmm. like a very consistent vibe all the way through. And I'm very, very glad I have rewatched a lot of these because I have enjoyed it far more than I expected.
1: Excellent. Well, if I average out all these scores I've been giving throughout this, I arrive at a 7.4 out of 10. And without fear, her basically pooping the bed, (laughs) that would have been a lot higher. You know, I think this is a very good series. And I think the fact that Doctor Who turned white hot after this is for a reason. You know, populations of people don't just randomly say something's good or bad in many ways, this is the reverse of what's happening with the Whitaker era right now. There's broadly this negative feeling around it and the ratings sort of reflect it. But I don't think it's some accident that happened, you know, as some on Twitter might want you to believe. Oh, it's just some people. It's just sort of an accident. You know, it's actually really good. No, I th- I think broadly people saying the Whitaker era is not great because broadly that's what people think. And here it's the reverse. You know, Doctor Who didn't accidentally become mega in the Tenant era. It happened because of this solid set of stories the the doctor companion interactions stuff we hadn't seen before which I guess becomes harder when you're making series 13 this year you know rather than back in series 2 I I find it hard to fault this as a collection of stories and it's not even my favorite tenant series so you know how's that for scary um as good as this is I don't think it's his peak and maybe not his peak personally, but his era's peak is what I'm, I'm trying to say.
0: To, to, to come back to the point that I raised right at the start where we talked about our memories of this, I am very happy to say that the episodes that I thought personally as a, as a fanboy were just fine, you could also say were incredibly accessible, And I totally get why something like Doomsday, which I say, look, that's fine. It was a good adventure. It's a B. A casual viewer, not even a casual fan, a casual viewer could watch and just enjoy. I totally understand why this was a success, even if it wasn't quite the hard, gritty season seven, season 18 Doctor Who that I would like. I think it does it very, very well, and it's very accessible.
1: Yeah. And look to, to conclude I want to say I think 15 years on because it is 15 years as we mentioned earlier. Yes. Some some people out there are starting to forget how white hot all this was and how this kicked it off. That's right. Or they didn't really grasp it at the time because someone who's say 20 year 20 years old today. You know, they're out there on Twitter tearing it up having an opinion on everything. They're only 5 when this came out they could have watched it sure their parents probably put it on for them and maybe even watched it in the years since but I don't think at the time when they were five years old they would have really grasped what was happening in the broader fandom at the time and guys if you weren't there it was huge it was mega and with good reason
0: yeah I think that that's my final point as well I've I've come to appreciate this series more on the rewatch I've enjoyed it more but the big outstanding memory I have of 2006 and Doctor Who is walking into the ABC shop and just seeing piles, literal piles and display stands of Doctor Who merchandise with David Tennant and Billy Piper on it, and just mm-hmm. thinking, this is like nothing in my lifetime. This is insane. Yeah. This is this is nuts. This is nuts. This is mainstream and Watching it back, I can see exactly why it was. It, it, it balances the Doctor Who fan and the casual viewer in a very perfect way. And uh, credit to it for doing that.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, I think we've gone into a lot of depth on that, but we will get to the ending of our episode. We have a few emails, and I've got the first, and it is from Will Sanger. Thank you for writing in. And as always, we encourage all our listeners to write in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hi, Robin, Dave. Hope you are well. Series 2 has always been an interesting series for me because I have a lot of nostalgic memories of watching it as a seven-year-old, and it's always been my least favorite series of RTDs run. David Tennant is my favorite incarnation of the Doctor, but I think he takes a while to find himself in the series. Mainly, he has an impulsiveness and rudeness that works with a lot of incarnations, but not the Tenth Doctor. Luckily, this quickly disappears. Series 2 has a lot of stories I like and a lot I dislike. I love The Christmas Invasion, School Reunion, The Girl in the Fireplace, and The Impossible Planet, The Satan Pit, and I honestly enjoy Love and Monsters a lot. However... Series 2 also has some of the worst of the RTD era, with New Earth, The Idiot's Lantern, Fear Her, and I really don't like the Cyberman two-parter. The way they rewrite the Cyberman origin and overly robotic nature of the new series Cybermen, and as such, I am not as fond of the finale either, or how the way they parallel Earth reality is handled. I'm going to say something unpopular. You, you, you just tished the idiot's lanterns. That was unpopular with me. Yeah, that, no, that's No, no, All very, good, all, all very the happy same. to hear alternative <laughs> opinions. That's fine. Um, I'm going to say something unpopular. I think the romance between the Doctor and Rose is the only romance with the Doctor that has ever worked in Doctor Who. The reason being, it's never a relationship. The Doctor and Rose develop a close bond and connection through travelling that naturally develops into romantic feelings. The Doctor, however, knows his feelings are wrong and won't admit them. He knows she is human and that he is a Time Lord, and should be above such things, and as such, buries his feelings. It's why I'm still invested in their development, and find the ending in Doomsday very tragic. However... It should have been a one-time thing, and the repeat of the romance trope only lessens the impact of Rose as a character, especially with River Song, as the Doctor becomes involved in a marriage and relationship which humanizes him too much, and it feels uncomfortable and wrong for the character especially, how sexualized the whole thing is. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Will Sanger. Will, that last paragraph is is really, really good. I really agree with everything you say there. I I think that it's a very... Mm good way to crystallize the relationship i I still don't quite buy into it myself but outlining there how you do i think makes a huge amount of sense and i get that if that's how you perceive the relationship that doomsday ending would be utterly tragic and yeah i really appreciate that perspective
1: i would have liked to have been a one-off because i do think it makes it more special but i think you know, in so many ways they see the fans like as Oh, you like that? Okay, let's do it again. We'll give it a slight twist. You know, in the, in this case, you know, Martha likes him but he completely ignores her. Then with River Song they get married. You know, all these different twists on the same sort of romance theme because they perceive the audience wants it. Um, I don't want it. <laughs> I'd be happy if it wasn't there.
0: Yeah, there is perhaps a um a certain amount of trying to repeat a formula and catch lightning in the bottle twice. Um But that's for another day, I suppose.
1: I think so. I'm going to read uh, an email now from Alex Wilcock. Hello, Alex. He talks to us on Twitter quite a lot, uh, as does Will Sanger. He says, Hi, Dave and Rob. Enjoyed your discussion of the Holy Terror. And even though I enjoyed the story more than Dave, thought he had some great points about how it fits into the Sayward era. Though for me, this does a much better job of making you feel it and think about it than his stories." One thing, though, going back to this exploring writers and creations, while Dave has a point about the Doctor and Frobisher not being as involved as he'd like at the end, aren't you forgetting the third regular? Right from the beginning, we hear the TARDIS is tired of being taken for granted, and the TARDIS makes some pretty major decisions here to get the other's attention. I don't know if the castle is Time or technology or not, but for me, the point is she takes them there because this is something like her, as a lesson in cruelty to creations, because it's not just Frobisher's fish that are created, yet still real. The TARDIS is made of maths and ideas, and as a creation too, she doesn't like being made complicit in his thoughtlessness. Isn't the whole story her finding a way to say, even if as obliquely as melting the clocks, I'm as real as you are, so treat me better? Last year, I came up with a kaleidoscope of different Doctor Who recommendations with one playlist so ridiculously ambitious that it included TV, books, comics and plenty of Big Finish too. So here's a much smaller selection as Dave is looking for some suggestions. Oh, thank you. Home Truths, a disturbing First Doctor companion chronicle. The Trouble with Drax, a scintillating caper with Tom. Jubilee, Sixty. If you've not had enough of Rob Shearman. and I think we've we've both heard that one.
0: I, I have it, but I have uh, bought it and downloaded it. It's when I watch, it. it's when I listen to in the next few weeks.
1: Oh, you haven't got to that. Oh, okay. and well, no, I won't spoil it then. Uh, Ravenous two, uh, and from that he's picked Better Watch Out and The Fairy Tale of Salzburg. Box sets of four stories apiece are a bit daunting, but you can just dive in here with Paul McGann for Christmas. The War Doctor 2, Infernal Devices, for offering some of the weirdness of the Time War. And Jago and Lightfoot are joyous. Not every box lives up to the fantastic character chemistry, but starting with the one-off, The Mahogany Murderers, and through Series 1, makes for a brilliant set. I have to admit, I also love The Master. Top picks have to be the naughty adventures of the War Master and Missy, and both getting to do so much more on audio. Perhaps the best single purchase is The Diary of Riversong Volume 5, All the stories are excellent and you get four fabulous masters to play with. And I know you've listened to the novel adaptions, but in the unlikely event you read this out, well, we did read it out, Alex, I'd say for listeners that Damaged Goods is probably the best of those and a terrific take on a terrific novel. Love and liberty from Alex, who is uh, at Alex Wilcock on Twitter.
0: That's some really good thoughts there. I think that perspective on the Holy Terror is really interesting, and, and it is something that we, we did miss. So thank you, Alex, for adding something to the review, and thank you as well for those those tips. I, I won't promise I'm going to dive into all of them straight away, but I will keep them handy and look into them from time to time.
1: For, for you, Dave, I like the sound of this disturbing First Doctor Companion Chronicle. Yes, that, that
0: has definitely uh, interested me, strangely. Mm. I have a... Comment via Facebook from Shane Gordon, commenting on our Primary Sources episode 10. Okay. Rob, your comment read The Third Doctor basically equal my views exactly. I remember the first time I saw the ABC replay these, I was interested, because they were, to me, new who. However, subsequent repeats of The Third Doctor's era left me underwhelmed. If anything, they annoyed me. I just wanted to see more Davo or Colin. Funny thing, though, The Third Doctor's target range were amongst my favourite books. Day of the Daleks was the first Third Doctor book I ever read, and still my favourite to now. I think my problem with the TV Third Doctor is that age-old problem. The budgets never matched what my imagination conjured reading the novels. It wasn't until the wilderness years that I really got into The Third Doctor, as I morphed into a more appreciative fan. Instead of being a Davo Troughton fan, I became a Doctor fan, enjoying each and all of them. My first home video was Day of the Daleks, and I watched that heaps until the range expanded. Today I still love that story, and watch it now with the new special effects. It still pales compared to the novel, especially that timey-wimey epilogue, but now I love the third Doctor's era as much as any other, I can see why so many love Pertwee as the Doctor. He shines through in each and every story and is a fantastic incarnation. Well, that's Absolutely. good.
1: Very positive. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. And finally, uh, I'm going to read an email from John Shaw, who's written to us before, but it's actually signed from John and Beth Shaw, who is his wife. So we've got a husband and wife listening to us now, Dave. Oh, fantastic. Hi, Rob and Dave. Hope you are all good. My wife and I were talking about Doctor Who the other day and Beth came up with this idea that Chibbers has pulled a blinder. Here's how it started. So, Beth was looking at images of Jodie's costume to get the colours right for a scarf to match my season 12 and 18 scarf she knitted me. And I made a comment, I think they made Jodie too bland. We both knew what I meant. Not bland, but inoffensive, like they knew that making the Doctor female would be a big pill for some fans to swallow, so they didn't want to be any more challenging. And that got her thinking. If you were to use one word to sum up 13, it would be positive, which made her think how did that compare to the other Doctors since the revival? So, if you take a starting point of the War Doctor, what comes after is 9. Denial 10. Anger 11. Bargaining. 12. Depression. 13. Acceptance. Which are the five stages of grief? Has Mr. Chibnall spotted something and carefully crafted his doctor, or are we reading way too much into this? We look forward to your thoughts, John and Beth Shaw. P.S. Dave, you teased me on Twitter that Spacefall was coming back. I can't wait.
0: Good, it is. I'm glad you can't wait and hopefully we'll get another episode out soon. Uh, interesting thoughts. Um, I, I don't know if I quite buy it myself, but when I first read that list and, and the Sages of Grief, I thought, yeah, there's something in that. Definitely something in that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, I think you can make the argument. I don't, I don't think it's there deliberately, though. I think it's, uh, what did Paul McGann say? Humans always seeing patterns in things that aren't there, that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, that's probably true.
1: But it is it is very fascinating because after the war, Doctor, when obviously such a big thing happens in his life, to have the five stages of grief, it, it all fits. You it, know, it, works, I, it works. I'm not saying it doesn't not fit. I mean, I see the anger in 10. I see the depression in 12 and so on. I get it. Uh, I'm not sure it's deliberate, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, thank you to everybody who wrote in and, as always, to everybody who engages with us on social media. Uh, we've had a long conversation, but a quick wrap-up now with a quick segment of what have we been watching. Uh, a couple from me, I did watch all of Loki, and I enjoyed all of Loki. I, I enjoy the weekly installments, as I've said before, and this was a series that people in the office would watch, and we'll, we'll talk about it. And, and and the good thing about that is that if you're, you know, maybe inclined to miss a week, or you don't quite get to one, you've, you've got peers going, well, we can't talk about this till you watch it, mate. Go watch it. And, and that keeps you going. I, I thought this was really good. I, I didn't quite enjoy it as much as I enjoyed One uh, Division. I certainly got to the end of it, which is more I can say for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, the first episode and the fifth episode were really good and the ideas were really good. Not sure about the conclusion. I won't say any more, though, because spoilers and people will still be watching it.
1: Well, um, what I was going to say what I've heard, Dave, and I've not watched it, and I, I don't care if you spoil me, but <laughs> obviously you won't give spoilers for our listeners. I've heard that he's quite dumbed down and not really the character he was in the movies.
0: To make the character work in a six-part TV series, you have to change it a bit from being the comic villain that he is in a couple of movies. So he is different. I would not have said dumbed down, though. Okay. Um, but the other thing I've watched that I've really enjoyed, I wanted to share with the listeners, is I've gone and re the series Edward the Seventh, which was a 1975 drama, and it was basically ITV's kind of response to Elizabeth R and The Six Wives and and all the rest of that. And this is an amazing 13-part drama. If you're a fan of golden age British historical dramas like that, uh, this, I think, is really worth finding. Uh, It's available on YouTube and it's there as Edward the King, which is what it went out as in, in the US. But, Rob, can I just take a minute and read you just a sampling of the names of the cast in this? Sure. Annette Crosby's Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. Timothy West as Edward VII, Helen Ryan as Princess Alexandra, later Queen Alexandra, Robert Hardy as Prince Albert, oh. Felicity Kendall as Princess Vicky, later the Empress of Germany, Simon, G- Simon Gipps Kent as the Young Bertie, Christopher Neame as Kaiser Wilhelm II, Charles Dance as Prince Edward, Bruce mm-hmm. Purchase as Alexander III of Russia, uh, Michael Horndon as William Gladstone, Sir John Geelgood as Benjamin Disraeli, Derek Folds as Lord Randolph Churchill, Richard Vernon as Lord Salisbury, Geoffrey Bailden as Henry Campbell Bannerman, Geoffrey Beavers as David Lloyd George, Gareth Thomas as Charles Beresford, John Normington as Oliver Montague, and Moira Redmond as Alice Keppel. How's that for a big-name cast?
1: <laughs> I was just waiting for Olivia Coleman to get thrown in there.
0: <laughs> and, and look, that's only a sample of the cast. That's just the names I've picked out. That Look, this is, this is just... An amazing drama. It, it, it literally goes from the opening scene of episode one where Queen Victoria reveals that she's pregnant with her second child, right through Victoria's reign and then the reign of Edward Seventh. It, it shows the great things he did for his country. It shows all his foibles and flaws as a human being. It's it's immaculately cast. It's really well made. If you're a fan of that sort of drama, I, I think this is less well known because it wasn't a BBC, it was ITV, but if you think that cast sounds worthwhile checking out, I really encourage you to do it. Look, if only for Christopher Niemers' Kaiser Wilhelm, which is just the most amazing display of madness you've ever seen on screen.
1: <laughs> a lot of location work, or is it a studio sort of thing?
0: Um, Some location work, but very studio-bound.
1: Okay, so it's like one of those 70s type
0: things. Yeah, very much so.
1: Yeah, all righty. Uh, I've been looking at many things, including some old movies I've never seen Properly, you know, like with adult eyes. So I've been watching things like The Deer Hunter and Casablanca and things like that. But of note, I've also watched things on Netflix recently like Fear Street, uh, which is a three-part film based on the books uh, Fear Street by R.L. Stein, who also wrote the Goosebumps series. Uh, and I've also jumped across to Amazon and watched uh, James May o. Cook and Clarkson's Farm, which you've also watched. And both of those were just fantastic as well. So some really good stuff. And I've just started on a new series of my super guilty pleasure, Elite.
0: Oh, awesome. I did see that that was out. And yeah, there's a few things I want to watch. Um, Since I mentioned Clarkson's Farm a month ago, that's taken off.
1: Oh, it has. It's been the most watched show i think on amazon of all time which blew me away because i thought well that includes like the grand tour and stuff which yes. is a nice slouch
0: yeah for them um, to beat for clarkson to beat the grand tour is a pretty big deal
1: yeah this is this is clarkson learning how to like plant seeds and you know raise <laughs> sheep and things and it is the highest rating amazon show no lie yes it
0: is it is um but yeah look i said last month i loved it i'm glad you enjoyed it too
1: absolutely fantastic
0: We've had a long episode this time, Rob, which is uh, a reflection Oops. of the fact we had an entire new series to to go into a lot of depth with. Listeners, I hope you've stuck with us. I hope you've enjoyed the depth we've gone into and you'll forgive us a longer runtime than we would perhaps ideally want. But we will wrap up. Rob, what's our topic next month?
1: Next month, we're going to do something uh, we've never done before, which is talk about uh, comics in Doctor Who magazine and specifically our eras in comics in Doctor Who magazine because although similar, they, uh, they are actually distinct. There's there's a bit of crossover, I think. I'm probably preempting too much. But comics in him. You're
0: going to talk to us about your era of comics and I'll talk to you about my era of comics. And um, yeah, it be something different. But until then, I've been Dave.
1: And I've been Rob. And we will speak again soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show. Find us online by searching for the TacTo Show. We also love it when you ride in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the DWShow.net.